Welcome to ISO Chats Theology. I'm Lionel Windsor, New Testament lecturer at Moore Theological College, Sydney. During the COVID-19 isolation, I chatted with lots of my friends and colleagues here at Moore about theology, Christian life and ministry. It's the kind of discussion we'd normally have over morning tea, but the topics are highly relevant to life in a changing world. So I wanted to let you listen in. Enjoy. Today I'm uh, chatting to Philip Kern. Uh, Philip Kern is, he's actually kind of my direct boss here at Moore College, head of the New Testament department at uh, Moore College. Uh, and we're colleagues here and also uh, I've been a student here at Moore College while uh, Philip was a lecturer here. So I've been taught by Philip and it's my great uh, privilege and pleasure to be uh, on faculty uh, with Philip and working in the very fun New Testament department. Um, good to see you, Philip. Nice to see you. Yep. Uh, and Philip, you're, you're in at the office at the moment. There's very few other people in at the office. So everyone's been uh, quite isolated. Um, how are things going uh, just, just with life in general for you at the moment? Oh, no complaints. Um, family seems to be doing well. And, um, you know, if that's going all right, then I guess we're going to be happy. Um, yeah. I'm able to get some work done, which is good. And now we're entering into uh, a day or two of holiday. Excellent. Excellent. That's good. Um, I'm going to say, normally I'd say, where are you going to? But, uh, you know, there's <laughs> no point asking that question at the moment. No. Um, I'm uh, talking to you today, we're talking today about uh, your forthcoming book on Jacob. Uh, and this has got nothing to do with COVID-19 or, or anything, uh, as far as I can tell. Maybe it'll have something to do with COVID-19 by the end, I'm not sure. But I just wanted to talk to you about it and uh, to have other sure. people uh, join in and, and hear uh, about, uh, about this book, about uh, the research that you've been doing and why you've done it and what you've learned and how you've found it and um, hopefully... Um, I'll, I'll learn a whole lot of things as well. Um, so the book on Jacob, when did you start thinking about Jacob? Um, okay. Um, more than 20 years ago, um, I was asked to preach a sermon on two of the big events in Jacob's life. And I thought at first, this is a really stupid thing to try to do in one sermon. But I began to uh, discover that there are a bunch of um, parallels in the story. I think that they're sort of shaped the same way. I thought, well, the author must be trying to make a particular point by shaping the stories. So what is that? So I finished that sermon, uh, but I never really felt like I'd finished working through the story. And so I've been um, kind of nibbling away at it for, uh, well, not consistently and all the time over the last 20 years, but I've been putting a fair bit of time and thought into it sporadically along the way. Mm. Just, to, and just to clarify, or just for, for those who are less familiar, the story of Jacob is found in Genesis uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and um, which particular, what, are, what were the two incidents in the story of Jacob's life that you were asked to preach on? Well, okay, if, as I say it, you'll, it'll start to sound fairly obvious, but it's the, the, uh, the events where he steals the birthright and where he steals the blessing. And um, so there's a lot of parallel there. And the fact that there's, um, they're based on meals, I developed that. Uh, there were things that sort of went into that discussion. So it was those two passages. And I guess eventually um, I thought I'd work on that sermon. So I kept at it. And then um, from memory, I was asked to preach at college, a block of three. So I thought, well, I'll do three sermons on Jacob. So that sort of expanded my horizon just that little bit. And it kind of kept going from there. Yeah, great. Now, I mean, 
you're you're a lecturer in New Testament at uh, at Moore College. Um, what we are, are you allowed to to do research into the Old Testament? You know, uh, is, is is this is, isn't this going beyond the boundaries of what you're allowed to do? No, I think I'm allowed to. Um, and John Woodhouse, I would say, encouraged us very strongly to think across uh, disciplines. So to think about the Old Testament, to think about doctrine. And uh, so when I was asked to do the um, annual lectures in 2010, I proposed to do Jacob because it would allow me to get back into thinking through that material and, uh, you know, to really pursue it and also to cross that boundary. And one of the things I was kind of wondering is, uh, okay, I'm, I'm teaching how to read the New Testament. Do I really have skills that transfer outside material that I actually am fairly familiar with? So could I teach people how to read, uh, say something else in Greek like Josephus? I don't know. Could I teach somebody to read the Old Testament? And so for me, it was just that, and okay, I shouldn't even say, could I teach someone to teach? Uh, it was, could I really apply those skills and get meaningful material from the Old Testament? So I was a bit curious about a number of things, and that was certainly one of them. Can I really uh, take a fresh approach to a passage in Hebrew text and the Old Testament and see how it speaks to me as a living word of God? So, you know, it's very much a, uh, uh, a hedonistic uh, approach, if you want to put it that way. And um, it was sort of to do with my own curiosity more than anything else, which raises a problem. You know, you try to market a book and one of the first questions is, well, who is it for? And the answer is, well, this one's for me. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to see what I could do. I wanted to see what I would find. And in the end, I now have to think in terms of something that might be useful for somebody else. But that was never really um, very much behind the work I did. I guess I wanted to know, here's a way to construct the thought. What do I need to know about this material before I can preach it? So it's not mm -hmm. a sermon. It's what I want to know before I get to the sermon. How does this word, um, this bit of scripture work together? How does it generate meaning? And how does it then speak into the life of the Christian? So that was very much what I was thinking about as I worked through it. Mm. So that's what you've been thinking about right from the start. You're thinking about uh, understanding it in order to preach, which I guess is just in, in many ways, it's what we do as the, the core one of the core things at, at college isn't it that we're, we're teaching students to really come to grips with the text uh in order to understand it for themselves of course and to to come before uh god uh having transformed lives and, and understandings but also to be able to preach it to others so i yeah. guess what you're doing is is not completely out of the uh, the ballpark of what we would normally be doing anyway um and now yeah. turning into a book yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that very strongly. And I think um, it's easy to lose sight of that at times. And sometimes there's just that hard work, the dirty work that we need to do to come to terms with technical things. But, uh, you know, it, it has to remain the word of God that's speaking to us. And, um, yeah, we can't lose sight of that. The other thing is, um, do you mind if I go on for a minute? Of course, that's, that's what this is about, yeah. Okay, there, there are a couple of things that I came across. One is that if you look through the standard biblical theologies, uh, everybody's big on Adam, and you get a bit on Noah, and obviously Abraham's going to get a fair bit of attention. Isaac gets a bit of attention, but you look at some of the most significant biblical theologies, and if you find anything about Joseph, uh, Jacob, it's, it's minimal, and it's only the early chapters, and then they jump right over to Joseph. 
So there really is a gap in terms of biblical theology. And I've been mm -hmm. teaching Christology almost since I came to Moore College. And so I have an interest in how the Old Testament works uh, with material, how it generates patterns and points to the Christ. And so um, it seemed to me that if Jacob is Israel, I better mm -hmm. have some sense of what Jacob's doing in biblical theology, but also um, how do I establish that messianic trajectory toward Jesus if Jacob is, well, let's face it, uh, he's a bit of a scoundrel right through. And a lot of people want to find that point where Jacob, in a sense, becomes good. And my reading of it is a little bit less optimistic than that. I'm not sure that we're supposed to see this as one of the great heroes of the faith where, okay, at this point, he becomes the sort of man he was always intended to be. Um, I think God's sovereign work through Jacob is stronger than that. And maybe when Paul says uh, Jacob was chosen before he'd ever done anything good or bad, the point is that he never really does anything good. And yet God chooses him and works through him and provides that line, which becomes, in a sense, a two-track line, which is into Joseph, who is sort of the savior within the book of uh, Genesis, and Judah, who is the savior beyond the book of Genesis. And so you get... Uh, uh, tracks being developed that I think are worth attending to. And for me, it was very uh, exciting to discover some of these things I, I hadn't seen before. Mm, mm, that's, that's really interesting. It's raised a whole lot of questions. When you said Jacob is Israel, just to clarify um, what you mean by that, um, just for people who don't necessarily know what you mean when you say Jacob is Israel. Sure. Um, Jacob is named Jacob because at his birth, he's wrestling with his brother and um, uh, so he's given that name, which means supplanter, deceiver, that sort of thing. And then you get into the, the narrative and, uh, uh, you know, major events happen. He's out of the land. He's struggling. 20 years later, he returns to the land and he's wrestling now with God. So he leaves because of a wrestling match, uh, you could say. And he returns and has this wrestling match with, with God. And at that point, God renames him Israel. And... Mm -hmm. So in a sense, he is the forefather of this nation, which will always, in some ways, wrestle with God, always be um, friend and foe at the same time. Mm -hmm. And yet that's the means by which God produces the Messiah. More woven into this story in particular is the fact that this is the one who receives the blessing and who then can pass on that blessing to his descendants. And again, that takes us right up to, well, David and ultimately the Davidic son, Jesus. Mm, mm, yeah, so when, when we say, in terms of biblical theology, when we say that Jesus is the new Israel or the fulfillment of Israel or whatever we want to say it, uh, we can have in our minds the, the idea of Israel as a sort of a more abstract concept, as the, you know, the people of God or, or whatever that is. But actually, when you look at, you know, if you're saying he's the new Israel or the fulfillment of Israel, you actually think about, yeah, well, he's the new, this character, Jacob. And uh, this, mm. you know, anyways, this, this scoundrel, as you said, but also the one through whom God's purposes and salvation are being fulfilled, which is a, a fascinating and rich uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, that's sort of the shape for the book. I, I try to read very carefully the, the Jacob story. But then I've got a couple of chapters where I look at first how it extends into Genesis as a whole uh, in terms of the blessing and promises and things like that. But then how that material gets picked up in the rest of the Old Testament. And so uh, there's a chapter looking at 
um, let's say, distinct prophetic uses of the Jacob story. Um, mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? So Hosea focuses very much on the character of Jacob in chapter 12 to talk about how God will deal with this people who turns away from him, who is, um, what should we say, a deceiving, deceitful people, and yet God continues to deal with them graciously. And so Jacob's life is a turning. So Hosea calls people to turn. Um, in Micah, there are, uh, well, there's a string of references to Israel, uh, how they need to return. And the word limping is used there twice. And it's a word that you really only find in the Jacob story, because after God deals with him, he's limping away. And Let me just um, interject like completely that. personal story here that uh, my middle name is James, which comes from Jacob. Uh, it's yes. the same thing. And I've got various hip conditions that um, mean that uh, I limp quite a lot. Uh, so I, I, you know, in that sense, I uh, really resonate with this particular story. Anyway, that was completely gratuitous. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, no, thanks for that. Um, just to say that there are a number of places where it seems like elements of Jacob's character are picked up. And um, sometimes that's when you get the Israel and Edom oracles in the prophetic literature. Um, you'll find passages like you, you're, you're, you're not going to find this in the NIV necessarily, but uh, you, you, your, your brother is a limping deceiver, that type of thing. Um, so the, the prophetic literature I'm not saying this is everywhere. Obviously, someone like Abraham is far more important in terms of telling the story of Israel. But um, at, at specific times, you get um, very, I think, direct references back to the Jacob story. And it's, it seems worth developing uh, those sort of things. Mm, okay. Now, I've, I've kind of left out of that discussion the, the role of Jacob's blessings at the end of the book of Genesis on his own sons. And these two... Uh, are developed in really profound, deep ways uh, to do with the shape of the Pentateuch and then beyond. So at the end of Genesis, where Jacob uh, brings all of, his, all of his sons together and it's the end of his life and he's sort of, you know, giving these blessings, these in many ways prophecies about what's going to happen to the various sons who become the tribes. And, you know, the, mm -hmm. the one I, I remember the most is, is the one on Judah, uh, where, where there's the, you know, the... the um, the lion uh, and uh, th those those kind of um, uh, ideas, but uh, there's also a whole lot of other ones too, aren't there? There's some really That's right. So you've got references yeah. to vines and donkeys and things like that. But where I find this fascinating is, let let's say that at the end of Genesis, you've got a a, a poetic scene we could call it that has these um, blessings which are prophetic, and then as you get work through the Pentateuch, there are actually four of these poetic scenes, and Balaam's oracles would be another one, and Numbers 23-24 picks up on a whole bunch of things that clearly are borrowed from what's said about Judah, but just as clearly they have a, a, a long horizon where it says, I see not now, it's far off, that sort of thing, and there you get language like, well, the reference to the donkey, and the lion is picked up, but you also get references to the lioness, which is, well, you almost never find that in scripture. And yet it holds together some of these, um, let's say, blessing promises to Judah and concerning Judah that draws forward to think about what God's, well, it's a big picture plan is for salvation. And How does the lioness do that? That's, I, I hadn't really thought of that. How does the lioness pick up 
or, or draw together? Well, okay. Um, you know, you have to see the evidence for it, I suppose. But it's a word that I think from memory appears only three times in all of the Hebrew Bible. And so it kind of forms a link from this prophecy to this prophecy within the oracles. And then let's say that the final great poetic scene is in the book of Deuteronomy as Moses in a sense looks back over his ministry, but he also looks ahead to again, a, a long horizon. And he uses some of that same poetic language to tell you what's going to happen uh, in the future as God brings his uh, final and ultimate king who establishes that final kingdom. Mm-hmm. So it's pointing to Jesus. Um, and there's, there's so much about Jesus in, in your book. So you mentioned that you're looking uh, primarily at the Old Testament. Um, how does or how does the New Testament figure in, in your book? Yeah, okay. Um, you could call them tangents, but um, I go on them. Um, so just as an example, one of the great stories, of course, is Jacob meeting his wife at the well. And that's reminiscent of Isaac's, well, his master, Abraham's servant who met Rebecca at the well, and Moses met his wife at the well. So I think um, it, it, it's pretty clear that there's sort of a, um, a form being developed, and that form gets picked up in John chapter 4, where Jesus goes on a journey, meets a woman at a well. Uh, mm-hmm. I won't say too much more about that, but uh, it's a way to lead into the Jesus story. And at a number of points, I, I do that sort of thing. I actually had a, about a dozen pages tacked on to the end of the first chapter about food, the way food functions throughout the Old Testament and New. And I thought, well, you're not even into the story of Jacob yet, and I've already got this, this digression. So I moved that to the back as an appendix, but um, that'll take you into the New Testament. So there's a lot of discussion of food and meals and so on in the Old Testament. And of course, at some point, those who reject God become the food at the Feast of God. But Revelation doesn't end with such a pessimistic note, even though it does include that thought. There's also the great feast, uh, which is, turns out is a wedding feast. So we're back to that motif again, as John brings together um, a whole bunch of things, including feasting and weddings and water, which gives life and so on. So you know, there are a lot of, uh, let's say, almost random threads, you might say, within the story that I think you can trace through and profit from doing so. Mm-hmm. So f- from the sound of it, it it's, it's, it's research in a book that just, f- it, 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 it makes the story and the gospel and the Old Testament and the New Testament, it colours in the whole of things and brings things to life in terms of really interesting and fascinating stories and connections uh, with Jacob and other things that we might not otherwise make. That's, that's a large part of what you're doing. Is, is that, is that, would that be right? Yeah, that's a great way of phrasing it. Um, I hope it works. I hope that the reader gets from it what I got from Mm. the work that went into it. Um, There is so much to, in a sense, laugh at and be troubled by within the story of Jacob itself. Mm. And so I think that's worth close attention just because it's a great story. But then there's also that drawing us forward to discovering truths about the Christ and seeing how the Old Testament is put together to lead us to the New Testament and to that message of Jesus and the salvation that we find in him. Mm-hmm. That's, I, I, I was reflecting on um, you know, one of our, our kids um, at 
uh, you know, going to Sunday school and, and hearing uh, Bible stories. I'm kind of saying, oh, church today, we, we just heard about Abraham again, you know, and I keep hearing about Abraham. And everything I know about Abraham is this, these, these promises and they lead to Jesus and I know about that and it's all good, but I just wish they'd tell me about some of the other people in the, in the, in the Old Testament, you know, not just Abraham. But, you know, and, and so there's just that sense that there's actually a lot, a lot more to our, um, our biblical theology and to the Bible than just sort of, you know, all we hear are the main things. It's good to get those main things and see how they point to Jesus, but actually... Terms of teaching, so I, I could imagine that um, those who are uh, teaching those kids' lessons to uh, to my kids would would find it really helpful just to read these stories and to get into them and to see how they point to Jesus. Yeah, that's the goal that people who don't necessarily have any formal education in terms of theological college can access the material, enjoy the material, hopefully. Um, you know, sort of be inspired in some ways, positively and negatively, by the life of Jacob and the events that he went through and see that it's not so much the story of Jacob. It's the story of an amazing God who can use somebody as, as miserable as Jacob is, a person who, who literally blows up his own home. And, uh, and yet God can use him. And so when God says, you know, it still gets to me, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This man who has just destroyed his own family, who couldn't do anything worse, you wouldn't think. God says, you can be a blessing to families. You know, it's almost like salt in the wound as Jacob is now on the run from his family and God makes promises like that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just so much uh, richness in it. Another thing that people completely overlook, let's see if I can work this into the conversation. It's mm -hmm. one of the longest character studies you're ever going to find in the Old Testament, if, if it is a character study. And at the very center of it, you've got a person who produces a huge family in a book that promises a seed, promises descendants. Genesis doesn't so much deliver on the land. You've got to wait for that. And even elements of the relationship that God promises. But right up front, it talks about producing children. And Jacob produces, well, there's, there's 13 of them, um, you know, in fairly rapid succession. And that's at the center of the story. But the next chapter is about him producing uh, a, a ridiculous amount of, of livestock. Uh, he becomes very wealthy, very fast. And both stories have hints of magic in them. Mm. And yet the writer draws your attention away from the magic. And um, if I remember correctly, neither of those chapters mentions God at all. But the next chapter, the narrator steps in and the characters step in. And over and over and over, they say, actually, it was God that did, did this. And so I think one thing Moses is trying to do is, is lampoon uh, viciously the notion of magic, of idolatry, to think that any of these things can actually bring you anything. You want children, you want prosperity, you want any of those things. Well, that's not where they're going to come from. Um, you know, look, look to the God who is capable of opening the, the womb of the barren woman, um, you know, enriching you in the face of hostility, even within, within your own home. So I don't know how to read those as promises. Not everybody has the same experience of life, but we do have experience with the same God who delights to bless us on his terms and in his time. Mm -hmm. I'd always wondered sort of how, how to read those stories and, and how to preach on them. Yeah, it's, it's not a, uh, an exercise in you know, a moral lesson for animal husbandry, is it? The, the, what what Jacob <laughs> does with his stripping of certain branches and that sort of thing. Um, so 
That's, uh, yeah. that, that, that's really helpful. Yeah. What's the book called or what's it going to be called? Yeah. Okay. The working title is uh, Jacob's story as Christian scripture. Uh, that can change. Uh, the editor might have an opinion on that. I don't much like it, but I can't think of anything better. Mm, mm. Jacob's story as Christian scripture. I mean, I, I, I like it. Does it got a, That sounds a little bit like a, a subtitle too, doesn't it? You know, like you feel like you need something like Jacob I loved at the beginning or something. Or uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, the, you know, the, the enemy within. Something. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at a loss. If you have a good idea, let me know. Because you're right. It sounds more like a subtitle but it's the best I can come up with at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like it as a title too. I'm just thinking, I, I think we, we were talking before, you know, we, we didn't prepare much for this at all, apart from saying, you know, what, are, what, what do we want to talk about? And I think you mentioned that you're still looking for, for titles and, and that yeah. sort of thing. So um, I, I guess, uh, well, I'm going to put this on, on YouTube and put it out on the, um, the, uh, on the podcast as well a little bit later. So uh, if anyone's got, any uh, thoughts, um, then I guess you could contact yeah, more Here's my idea, that's right. I'm not sure uh, you know, if there's any promises about sharing in the, um, the meager royalties from books like this, uh, you know, uh, but uh, that's, that's a great, uh, great thing to, uh, to do um, and to think about. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to it coming out. I think it, it sounds to me like it's gonna be a really uh, useful and rich and interesting book. Uh, and it's it, to fill out uh, the, these these things and to help us to understand more the contours of God's grace, uh, and just this idea that you know Jacob is not not necessarily a character study in um, a great hero that we all should emulate, but he's a character study in God's grace in a really messy situation and a life of struggle and um, just you know in, in, internal as well as external struggle and. Uh, this this person who doesn't deserve anything in particular, but God uh, actually works through him uh, to bring blessing to all the nations of the earth. Uh, I think that's a great um, great thing, and and I'm a, you know as as interested as I am in Romans nine to eleven. That's that's one of the key things that that Paul brings out at the beginning of Romans chapter nine. You know, Jacob is a character study in in pure grace and um, not deserving anything in particular, but. Uh, but God doing it anyway. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's good. When when is it due to come out? What do you, do you have a a date or a? Uh, yeah, no, that's a good question. So so it's coming out with Whip and Stock, and my goal is to uh, get it finished today and send it off to them, mm-hmm. and then it's up to them. Uh, given the current situation, um, I don't know if that will slow the processes down. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if it does. Um, but they tend to be pretty quick as far as publishers go. So second half of this year sometime, maybe late in the, in the year, yep. uh, would be realistic. Mm. And people can find out about it. I guess it'll be announced on the Moore College website when it comes, uh, and it'll be announced in various social media things, I, I guess. So that's how people can look out for it, but also going to the Whip and Stock uh, website if you, if you want to look for forthcoming titles. Uh, that would be the place to go to to find it. So um, great. Well, thanks very much, Philip. Um, I did. Was there anything you know, any, any anything else that you thought uh, this is just something fantastic that I discovered from the story of Jacob uh, that I wanted to share? Well, yeah. How much time do you have? Um, yeah. let, let's close with this. Oh, part. Time, um, Jake, Jacob uh, begins the um, uh, you know begins life by grabbing hold of. 
and he steals the blessing. He steals the birthright. And by the very end, he is presented as in the court of Pharaoh in Egypt, and he blesses the Pharaoh, which I think is fascinating. This person who uh, so was so intent on stealing blessing is now giving blessing. His hands are open, so he's no longer the grasper. He's the giver. And so if, if he comes good in any way, I'd say that's where it is, uh, that he becomes a blessing to others. And maybe that's the challenge that we're supposed to take from it, or at some level, uh, the way we ought to read that story. Uh, we who have so much blessing, are we still grabbing hold of more, or are we in an open-handed fashion able to be a blessing to others, uh, as God has been a blessing to us? Well, thanks very much, Philip, and I uh, really appreciate it. Look forward to the book coming out. Thanks very much, Lionel. Good to talk with you. You've been listening to ISO Chats Theology. I'm Lytle Windsor, New Testament lecturer at Moore Theological College, Sydney. If you like this podcast, please consider sharing us and please review and rate the podcast on your favourite podcast platform so others get to hear about it too. Video versions are available on YouTube or on my website at lionelwindsor.net. You might also like to check out another podcast I've created called Lift Your Eyes, a series of 70 reflections on Ephesians. And by the way, the name for this podcast was created by Adelaide Windsor. The theme music was written and performed by me and Harry Windsor, and the cover art was designed by Ellie Windsor. Love their work. Thanks for listening.